Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. As we come into this message tonight, I was just, I don't know, this week been thinking a lot about what's happening in our country, what's happening in our time. Um, just, I think this last year we've seen so many different things. And then these last couple weeks, again, more crazy. I was at a seminary class this Friday and they asked us the question, they posed, um, how are you guys, if you're teaching this week, how are you gonna respond to what's happening in our country? And everybody talked about different ways to respond, to call people, to walk in all that. And I hadn't really thought through it a ton at that point. And actually it wasn't until worship tonight that I was like, oh, like light bulb. This is actually how, how the church responds is they respond to Jesus. We don't respond to our current events. We don't respond to what we've seen happening in our nation. We don't respond to a politician. We respond to him. And in that, yeah, that's like, that's good news, right? And in that, it's not that we are ignoring what's happening, but instead we're going to him and we're getting his eyes for what is happening. We get his eyes for our culture. We get his eyes for our world. And we respond by responding to him. Because if we take our time and we just try to figure out how do we respond to this thing that happened? Oh, or I scrolled through and I saw this in the news today. How do I, what do I say? What do I do? Fear is actually what rules us. We're ruled instead by fear of what could happen, fear of what might happen, instead of going to him and asking him, Lord, what are you going to do? We look at a victorious savior and we say, oh no, we actually see who you are and it changes the way we see everything else in our lives, everything else that happens around us. And that is the beautiful and freeing part of following Jesus. We are not a people ruled by fear. We are not a people ruled by our circumstance. We are a people ruled by him. I love that the thing that's been catching people's attention tonight is that like, oh, it's kingdoms come, kingdoms go. He remains. Jesus is our stayed hope. He is what we are here for. So I can wait. I did, I did it this week. I woke up and I like started scrolling. This is a really bad habit to wake up and go straight to your phone, but I did it. Don't copy me. But I went to my phone to start scrolling headlines. I could feel it, the, like it ramping up, the anxiety, that like fear of just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And that's when, so thankful for the Holy Spirit, because when I'm asking myself questions, he comes in and is like, hold up. Ask me your questions. Come to me with what you're thinking. Come to me with your worries. Come to me with your fears, and I will actually replace it with your identity. Because you are a person, not of fear, you're a person of hope. You're a person of freedom in him. That's what we get to be as people of Jesus. That we get to be someone who bank on his blood. We bank on his sacrifice. We bank on his victory, not anything that we create for ourselves. And that's the, like, tonight, I'm just reminded again, I'm like, oh, Following Jesus is the best, the best, the best thing that we could do is to look to him for how to live life. During worship, I was looking at like, just looking around at all of you. And it's so cool to look around and see like, oh, this is a people who like, this is a free people. This is a people who get it. When they're singing like, Jesus, you are all that I want. You're who I give my heart to. They're meaning it. I was next to my husband. My husband leans over to me and he gives me a word for before I come up here tonight. I'm just like, what is my life? 
But this is my life with the Lord. This is my life with Jesus. It is a life of freedom and not of fear. Tonight we're coming back to our Acts series. We're gonna be in Acts 16, just looking at the church, looking at the people of God. And we're gonna actually see in this verse what it looks like to be free people. We're gonna see in Paul and Silas what it looks like to walk as free people. But as we do, I think we're, we're coming already with that identity tonight. I look around here and for those of us who follow Jesus, if you don't, tonight's the night. But we are a people who are free, a people who are known by him, loved by him, not ruled by fear. They get to come to the scriptures tonight and learn from him. We are a people who, even Jesus himself says to Pilate in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. We are not of this world. This is a kingdom where we use different weapons. We don't use the weapons of the world. Instead, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are part of his kingdom. This kingdom has a different citizenship. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this kingdom is one that we live from our freedom and not from fear. Romans 8.15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. John 8.36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to a yoke of slavery. And what this passage in Acts 16 is gonna show us is what it looks like when what the scriptures are talking about, these free people, us, when we live with allegiance to the kingdom of God and nothing less. That regardless of your political affiliation, your thoughts on COVID procedure, how you're analyzing current events, if you call in the name of Jesus, the hope that you offer the world is not found in any of those places. The hope you offer the world is that they're invited to take part in his kingdom, in that kingdom, the one the scriptures speak of where freedom has already been won for you. Your purpose doesn't shift with the times. It is that chains would be broken off to the people around and that Jesus would be revealed. This is your call and there's no better one. So with that, let's get into it. Open your Bibles to Acts 16. We're gonna be in Acts 16, verse 16, going in with a lot of hope here. Thank you, Father. It's a good night. Starting in verse 16. And we're gonna read through the whole, the whole text for tonight. We're gonna be in 16 through 40. Walk through it with me. And then once we are, we've read through and honored the scripture, we're gonna kind of go through it together. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoner had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately baptized him in his household. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. What a story, huh? In this passage, we not only see a ton of hope, but we see this invitation the invitation given to Paul and Silas, but also given to us, that as they encounter hardship, as they encounter prison, as they encounter fear of death, as they encounter annoyance, injustice, there's a lot that happens in that 24 verses. And the invitation to them, and I think to us tonight as well, is will we walk in the freedom that we've been given in response to God and not to what's happening and not to fear. So as we engage with this passage, we're going to focus on some of the main characteristics of free people. I think that these verses show us, um, I have four things about free people we're going to learn tonight, but there's definitely more as we look at the scriptures. But the four main things that we see about free people, how those who have been freed through Jesus Christ live their lives. The first one is free people, free people. You actually see this twice in this passage, um, that someone is set free Paul and Silas, and walking in their freedom, they're setting others that they come into contact with free as well. Um, This week, one of my professors gave me kind of this aha moment. We were talking about just the the different things we see in the scriptures as a part of the Christian life. We see things like freedom, faith, humility, um, and many others that we put in this category of attitudes. It's our attitude um, as we walk with the Lord. And then there's other things like prayer, sacrifice, baptism, those types of things that we would kind of put in the act section. These are the things we do as followers of Jesus. Um, However, this compartmentalizing, actually, we miss out on what God means for all of these things in our lives. That freedom, faith, humility, power, baptism, prayer, that those are actually both act and attitude. Meaning that humility can't just be an attitude, it must also be an act, or we've missed it. If prayer is just something that we do, but not an attitude that we hold, we've missed it. 
And as we bring this night and we talk to freedom, if I call myself a free person, but my freedom is only an attitude, as in it's only something that I think about myself, it's only something that I would say that I believe about myself, I understand that I'm free, but I do not act in that freedom. I don't move in response to freedom. Am I truly free? Freedom must be a whole person thing. It must be both our act and our attitude. These men that we see here in the scriptures, they understood their freedom in Jesus and that freedom was offered to those they met. Their freedom didn't stop at their attitude. It moved to their action, to what they were able to offer to the world. And the first person that we see them do this for is the demon-possessed woman. This is the woman who is telling people's fortunes for them, earning money for our owners. And we see her at the very start of the passage. And in verse 18, she's following Paul and Silas and she's proclaiming... um, what their message is behind them. It goes on for days. And then in verse 18, it says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. First off, I think that the NIV's translation of the word annoyed is pretty perfect and also funny. Um, Scholars have different interpretations of Paul's annoyance, one being he didn't want their messages convoluted. He didn't want this demon-possessed woman speaking the same message as them and thinking that these messages came from the same place. The origin of God's message is much different, um, and he could see the demonic in hers. Um, Other translations would use the word distressed, and they would point to the conclusion that Paul got to this point of distress where he acted. But what I love about the NIV translation and its use of word annoyed is how it connects to just our modern understanding. I think of something actually like more like pesky, right? When you think of an annoyance, it's like that fly buzzing around your ceiling or someone that's mimicking you. I was, we were down visiting my husband's family for Christmas and he has two little nephews. One is three and one is eight. Eight year old's super fun, but he's also pretty annoying. We had this like, we had this day, we woke up in the morning, it was like 10 a.m. I shouldn't have done it, but I went and I like ate a piece of candy out of the kitchen. And I, he sees me with my like piece of chocolate and he's like, can I have some of that? And I'm not a parent, so I got to be like, go ask your dad. I don't have to really deal with that one. So he goes in, asks his dad. Dad, of course, says no, because he wants a sugared up eight-year-old at 10 in the morning. So Carson's his name, um, our nephew's name. He comes in, sits by me and just gives me one of these just staring at me. And I was like, okay, what's wrong with you, dude? And so he looks at me and goes, what's wrong with you, dude? I was like, oh no, here it goes. And so every word I said, Carson, stop. Carson, stop. I was like, okay, gotta go. This, it was like annoying to me. But the thing about annoyance is that for me, I can be like, okay, I'm like big kid. I'm going to get up and leave. I can walk away. That's annoying, but it's usually not put into the same context as like anger, hurt, or distress because it's something that most of the time we can easily conquer. In Paul's case, I'm actually going to make the assumption that the reason he was annoyed versus frightened, upset, etc., is because he understood how truly powerless the demonic is to those who call on the name of Jesus. That he understood who really holds victory, and so the demonic didn't actually deserve anything more than annoyance from him. It was a little pesky thing in the light of the truth of Jesus. In the name of the King of Kings, it was nothing. And this in itself would be a huge testimony to the people around. This woman that they'd seen, she seemed powerful to them. She had been telling people what their future could be. She has, the scriptures actually give a name to the spirit that um, was over her. They call it the spirit of Python. It would have been known as a very, very powerful um, prophetic spirit that was on her. So for Paul to come and see the spirit and actually be annoyed by it, to see no power in it, and to be able to cast it out was to call it what it was, 
a tormentor, not worthy to be seen as anything more. And as free people, Paul was able to do it. He was able to see it for what it was. And when we think about these spiritual powers, we think about the demonic, it's not a days of old thing. We actually see people today, people idolizing lesser powers, whether it's, I was reading in Forbes magazine, very mainstream, um, psychics that are used in their work for criminal justice. There's psychics who are hired to help with large businesses to give them insight into what's going to happen. There's deep belief in our culture and spiritual power. It's just misplaced. Apart from Jesus, it's used for personal gain and it's used to hold people in bondage. Um, in Chris Vallotton's book that he just released called Spiritual Intelligence, he actually recounts a story of a woman. She was a psychic, worked for a large company, made a lot of money doing it. She comes into a gathering, uh, meets the prayer team. Prayer team tells her, hey, these spirit guides that are really helping you out, they're actually the ones tormenting you. This woman came tormented saying, hey, I have a friend. He said he found peace here. I want peace. They told them, they told her, okay, we can offer you peace. It's Jesus. It's himself. We can offer you peace, but we have to cast these demons out of you. She sat there wondering, would I, but will I be able to keep my power? Will I be able to hold on to power? It's that conflict between keep, wanting to hold on to torment for the fact that it made her powerful or receiving peace. In the end, she responded, I would rather have peace, and the spirits were cast out of her in the name of Jesus. The trick of the enemy is to trap people in their desire for control and power so they are willing to live in torment, in one of lies, in the demonic. What we see in this passage is that even demons themselves know that the spirit who lives in Paul, the most high God, that those who want power, if they believe in Jesus, they will actually have it in greater amounts than they ever would have seen with the demonic. It is when they would lay down their lives and follow Jesus, the one who sets captives free, that they would actually find all things will be added to them. It is the lie of the enemy that there is power in his kingdom. He's been defeated. It is fear, fear of losing control, fear of being powerless, of not being able to provide that leaves space for strongholds to take root. And that is why those who are free in Jesus are able to proclaim strongholds be broken, demonic leave in the name of Jesus, because it's Jesus who is perfect love. It is perfect love that casts out fear, and where he is, fear cannot coexist. When Paul says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, the spirit must leave. We have been commissioned to cast out the demonic in his name because it is us who know him, those who the spirit of God inhabits, who must show the imprisoned that they can be free, that there is freedom that surpasses any gain that could be offered and it's living in his peace. The second example that we see in this passage of free people, freeing people is with the jailer. In verse 27 and 28, after Paul had been worshiping, the earthquake shakes the prison doors open. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. When we think with the mind of Christ, even those who are against us are people with possibility in the kingdom. There are people who have promise who Jesus wants to give his freedom to, give his life to. And they are people that we are able to offer him to, the real hope of life. Now, this is speculative on my part. Um, and a lot of, because we see that Paul and Silas stay in the prison. And scholars would, a lot that I've read, would say that they actually stayed in the prison and didn't run. Because to run would be to receive harsher punishment. If they stayed, they might get a reward, lesser time, that kind of thing. But Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens themselves. Um, what the people who imprisoned them did not know, that they had the claims to Rome, they had the claims to a rightful trial. I don't think they were there because of their fear. 
I don't think it was fear that held them in waiting, but it was vision for the other. It was that they'd received in the presence of God when they were worshiping that it invited them to stay and see what he would do. So instead of running, they waited to see what the spirit would do, how he would move. I think that they were more hungry to see what God would do than to secure their own freedom. They knew they were already free and so couldn't miss the chance to see someone else get freed as well. Are you more hungry for preservation than for his presence? Do you spend more time thinking about how you'll succeed or make it to the next day than you do about his provision that he's promised you? Do you think more about your pathway to the good life than how God wants to free those around you to give his life to them? If we answered yes to any of those questions, he's inviting us to align our thinking with his again. We get the chance to partner with God in the healing of the nations. But if we are too busy running toward our own agenda, we will miss the one in need of freedom. We will miss the jailer left in the rubble and who will be there to tell him what is true. We see that Paul and Silas, they wait. They see what God will do. They share the gospel and this jailer believes. He's set free. And the text tells us in 33 that at that hour of night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That to me is like the most beautiful piece of this passage. We're seeing freedom conquer fear. But unlike with the woman, we get to see this personal response of the jailer, that he comes and he says, I want to believe, and then he moves in love without fear. I don't want us to miss this. This is the same guy that right before, we read in the verse before, that he was about to kill himself out of fear out of fear of what would happen to him if he was punished, if he did the wrong thing. If those prisoners escaped and they caught him, he lived in fear, and so he would rather die than face them. But just verses later, after meeting Jesus, we see a man who is so bold that he would take prisoners into his home, that he would take prisoners out of prison and wash their feet, clean their wounds, that he is so much more driven by his love than his fear that he no longer fears what they would do to him. He wants to love these people. This same man hears the Lord, believes the Lord, and is filled with the kind of bold love that would wash their wounds and give them a meal. He decided that he would fear God and God alone and be bold enough to love people well. I think this is a testimony tonight for anyone that's holding fear in their life, that maybe it's just become a part of who you are. It seems like, oh, it's, a, it's just this rhythm of fear, this rhythm and anxiety. It's never gonna leave. It's just a part of life. But we see here that you can look at Jesus and in a moment be changed from a person of fear to a person of faith. From a person of fear to a person of freedom. To a person who walks in the light of what Jesus says is true. Because like with the jailer, fear can be dispelled in just a moment when it gets in the face of Jesus. Free people, free people. Now you would think that all these free people is really good news, right? you'd think that you would see people rejoicing. But actually in this passage, we see the owners of the slave girl being so upset that they've lost their power, that they retaliate. They get a whole town to come, a town that is more, more afraid of what Paul and Silas are doing, that they can't even see the invitation to freedom, that they would beat them, flog them. In verses 19 and 20, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city in an uproar. A woman got freed from the demonic, but instead of seeing it as reason to rejoice, those owners could only see their loss. Their success was defined by their control and their identity was in that success. 
And once they no longer controlled her, once she no longer served them, what they saw was chaos. They saw a city in an uproar in their language when they could have seen the work of God on display. This is something to remember as you partner with God on his mission to free the world. As you partner with him in what it looks like to see the kingdom come to earth. We say we want to see heaven come to earth. But guess what? It's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. It's going to make a lot of people actually angry. We see a visceral anger in this response. They want these men dead. They want them out. You may be considered a disturbance. You may be considered the oppressor. But that is why, like Paul and Silas could... We can't expect the world to look at the works of God and with renewed minds. They haven't met him yet. Our first priority is our allegiance to God, not our pleasing of them. It's obedience to him regardless of perception. The danger of submitting yourself to a false identity like we see with the owners. They go from owners of the slave girl to then really banking on that identity of Romans. We're Roman citizens. We don't need these people here. They move through these different false identities because the presence of freedom, the presence of these free people is challenging everything that they knew to be true. It's challenging every lesser identity. It is challenging the false identities that they've held as core. And the danger of submitting yourself to a false identity, to devoting yourself to anything less than child of God is you will choose to associate based off of how much power can they provide me? How much safety can they give me? How, how high can they exalt me? And in doing so, you'll find yourself tormented. You'll find yourself helpless, moving from person to person, from identity to identity, because what you were made for is to know Jesus. Paul and Silas challenge false identity when the freedom found in Christ is on display. And the people instead, they respond. We see them choose fear. We see them grasp for power rather than entering into the power that's before them. This challenge will always leave people an option. When your false identity is challenged, you are left with an option. Will you enter into freedom? Will you enter into relationship with Lord Jesus? Or will you just run and try to find another one? It is our job as those who know the living God, those who know their true identity as people to put freedom on offer. We do it time and time again, and we pray for Holy Spirit to move and soften hearts. Our job is not to decide for people. Our job is not to try and force them into freedom, but to continually show them what it looks like to live in it. Our job stays the same, regardless of the response we receive. It is our relationship with Jesus that gives us this freedom. And I think it's that relationship, the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus in a life that can't be defined by fear because it's already received its definition in relationship. We've already received our definition as follower. It's in that relationship that Paul and Silas find themselves and it's resting in this true identity that frees people and challenges false identity around us. And that brings us to our third and most important thing I think we see here with free people is that free people know freedom himself. Freedom isn't a state of mind. Freedom isn't a relationship with anybody less than the person of Jesus. It is intimacy with God that makes us a people that are free. It is intimacy with God that we were designed for. In verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening to them. You see, Paul and Silas were not free because of their circumstance. They're in a jail. They weren't free because they knew deep down they were Roman citizens, so they were actually maybe gonna get free later. No, they were free because they knew they were citizens of heaven. They were free because of who they knew. They were free because they knew Jesus Christ. That it's not life or death 
or circumstance. It's the person of Jesus, that he is our freedom. He is our peace. It's knowing him that changes everything. And it's nothing less. If we choose anything less, we will never know true freedom or true peace. The invitation the Holy Spirit gives us in the face of fear is to not let it imprison us, that we would fix our eyes on him unafraid of the future because we know that whatever it holds, he's there. Whatever is ahead of us, Jesus is there and he calls us his own. And that's the fourth thing we see in free people. We see Paul and Silas go and they go to Lydia's house and they're there and they're serving one another and we see in them that free people are a people that see victory. In verse 40, our last verse of the text, it says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and then they left. If we remember earlier in the same chapter of Acts, you go back away because we haven't been in Acts for a bit, but we looked at Lydia's conversion and now her house is full of believers. It's full of those who love God. And what I love about this first interaction when Paul and Silas get back is that he, they encouraged them. If it was me and I just got out of prison, I'd be like, I want some encouragement or I want some alone time or like, what are you guys gonna do for me? But instead, these free people have such eyes for victory, such eyes for what God is doing that they come and they encourage the brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not t- I don't think they just went and kept things positive. I don't think the conversation looked like, oh yeah, like rocks in the prison are softer than you'd think. Or maybe it's, uh, I like a, a real challenge, so it was good for me. No, I think that they were at that house telling testimony after testimony of what the Lord had done. They were saying, oh, we worshiped and the walls fell down. We worshiped and prison doors opened. We worshiped and there was a man who came to know Jesus that when we looked back, everything was orchestrated so that God could meet him in that place and meet his family and see him baptized. That their victory was not placed on positivities. It was placed on the truth of who God is. Not on positive mantras or platitudes, but on truth. Truth is what shapes the people of freedom, and it's truth that gives us eyes to see victory. If you look at people who see victory and you think them delusional, or, oh, they see the world in rose-colored glasses, ask the Lord for eyes to see. He wants us all to have eyes for victory, to be able to see the picture that the scriptures paint of this victorious king. He is one who has defeated death, and he's making all things new. And if that doesn't give you reason to celebrate something every single day, then we're missing him. He has more he wants to show you. It is pride that keeps us pessimistic, not our God. So free people in Acts 16, we see that free people, free people. That free people challenge false identities. That free people know freedom himself. And that free people see victory, his victory. We've seen what it looks like for Paul and Silas and in that for us, I think, to walk as free people. And there's more here. I invite you to spend time with this passage. It's, there's so much in that 24 verses that we are not getting to tonight. But I think for tonight, the message is this, that God is inviting us to say, you alone define me. You alone are my future. You alone are my hope. Because our fear cannot hold us while he is. So we will run to him. And before we leave tonight, I want to just leave us with some really practical things because we can talk about, it's again, that thing of like, okay, I believe I'm a free person. I believe I'm a free person. I believe what God says, but we have to move from attitude, what we think into our action. We have to pray that these things will move from our head to our heart. And that happens first when we get with Jesus. 
Again, like we said, free people know freedom himself, so we have to be a people that every day prioritize getting to be with him. Brian Austin, I think of your testimony that you gave on New Year's. It's been coming back to me over and over again over the last couple weeks of just how game-changing it is to just take time to be with the Lord, to get into that secret place, to get his thoughts for you, to know what he thinks about you, and to have that intimacy with him. We're all invited to it. And so if you have one New Year's resolution this year, that's the one. Make it that you would get with Jesus, that you would spend time with him. It is our opportunity. The second is that we would pray for our enemies, that we would take time this week, take time in our lives to stop. And when we see an enemy, we see maybe it's an enemy on your TV, it's an enemy in your circle, it's someone who you feel you are against, that you would pray for their freedom, that you would pray for them, that they would get to encounter Jesus Because as we can see in this story, whether it's a jail guard or someone who is possessed by the demonic, no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. And the third thing that I would invite us to tonight is, as we've already done, is worship. Our response, when we think, okay, what is the church's response? What is the church saying to what is happening? I think that worship should be our first response. Worship is our weapon, worship is how we fight battle, and worship is where we will get to hear from him, we will learn from God where his spirit is going, and then we will get to respond to the world from our intimacy with him. As we sing out of who he is, we proclaim his character, the atmosphere shifts. Our worship changes things here, it changes things in the world as we go out with renewed hearts and renewed minds to go and meet people. We get to worship tonight. And as we draw close to him, we're reminded who we are, to walk boldly in the truth, that he has broken down prison walls of impossibility and worship before, and that he will do it again. So on that note, I think we should worship. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website. Saintshill.church. Burdens getting lighter, and the yoke is so much easier.